Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Andres Perd, the founder of OutFunnel. OutFunnel is a sales-centric marketing automation tool that tightly integrates with modern CRMs like Pipedrive. You can automate email marketing campaigns, track email and website behavior from click to conversion, and get useful insights for your business. We chat about the customer development process that took Andres from idea to OutFunnel and how he created structured data from the in-person interviews. We also discussed the role of user acquisition on churn and how you can't do acquisition well without understanding the impacts on the customer lifetime value. Andres also shared the attribution model used at Pipedrive that unlocked insights on their best performing channels and campaigns by their LTV. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We've crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Andres. Welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. It's great to have you here today. Uh, for the listeners out there, Andres, we've been chatting for a while, but uh, you've got something very, very exciting now. Launched your new startup called Funnel, which you're trying to now unite the sales and marketing world, which I'm going to ask you on in and about a bit. Uh, but you also came from a background of at Pipedrive, uh, heavily focused on acquisition. I think you built out the total marketing team there. And correct me if I'm wrong. It was 20 plus strong. Uh, when you left and you saw like the early days from zero customers to over 70,000 customers. Um, did I get anything wrong there, Andres? Well, that's, uh, that sounds like me. Um, and, uh, and, I had, and then weirdly, uh, or maybe not weirdly, but uh, I, have, well, I was selling subscriptions um, already in the end of 2000s. So I was part of Skype and then I was in charge of uh, Skype's uh, uh, Paid products, paid subscriptions, uh, yeah. and that's that's where I first got involved with uh, uh, marketing subscriptions, and also that's where I first uh, encountered churn. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So one of the OGs when it comes to uh, the subscription economy, I think uh, having those early days at Skype. Um, so Andres, maybe you want to just let us know as well about before we get jumping into churn and start discussing, like what is it that OutFunnel does, uh, where you're at, like what led you to get started on this new journey now? Yeah, happy to. So OutFunnel, uh, we want to bring sales and marketing closer together. Uh, so we're a sales-centric marketing automation tool. And, uh, and it's a stupid idea to build a marketing tool in 2019. Because there are there are hundreds of marketing tools, and some of them are very very good. 
Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is that uh, if you're a small business, uh, it's still super hard. It's ridiculously hard to connect tight marketing workflows into your sales tool and, and sales data. Uh, and then that's what we set out to do last year. We've been now going for uh, almost a year and a half. We have first 150, 170 paying customers, five uh, people, and then, uh, yeah, seems uh, seems that uh, there's still a lot of work ahead of us. Very nice. And I know you did like a lot of customer development early on before you even got to start lining a right of code. Uh, maybe you can as well just talk us through that process and like what led you to this aha moment when you said, okay, we really need to fix this. We really need to be able to connect and help sales and marketing come closer together. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So when I left my job at Pipeshav uh, end of 2017, I, I had a vague idea of, of, uh, of building a marketing tool because I'd seen a need uh, talking to Pipeshav customers and just speaking to other um, entrepreneurs and uh, their old small business I saw here and there. But I wasn't sure uh, what to build exactly. And I thought just uh, I'll, I'll do what, what smart people have written in various books. Uh, I just talk to customers. And then that was, that was actually pretty painful because about 30, 40 interviews in, I thought I was lost because I was getting insightful um, uh, conversations done, but uh, they didn't, for many patterns. So no I thought that based on that, I would have needed to build about 10 or 20 different products. But luckily, at around the 30, 40 interviews mark, uh, these patterns started to emerge and then some trends started to come out of it. And then that really, uh, that, re- that really, that, that one sprint of talking to 110 or 120 companies, uh, that's still useful today uh, in planning the products, in planning marketing, in, in picking messages. So, uh, um, so yeah, definitely. It, it wasn't the time, time, it was time well spent. Absolutely. And I think it's good as well that you persevered because I think that's a lot of the times as well, like as entrepreneurs, you, you want to get started, you've got all this energy, you just want to do stuff, you want to start executing. Uh, but more often than not, it's definitely uh, going to be the wrong idea and really sort of like having that discipline to focus and to be able to pick out the ideas and to pick out the problem that you're really trying to solve. Uh, is definitely the first step to building a business where churn is not going to be an issue. Uh, yeah, uh, for sure. I think, yeah, I think yeah, persevering, but also uh, creating structured data out of these interviews, so making getting pretty good and getting pretty strategic about note taking is is useful as well. Interesting. Like, how did you go about getting structured data out of these interviews? Then, so it's it's quite a lot of data that you're sitting on. Typically, like conversations as well and interviews. I know they end up tend to get lost. Like, what is sort of your process there? That how did you sort of get structure out of it and start to see these patterns emerge? Mm-hmm. So after about, so I took notes of all the conversations, um, and and then after I think ten interviews in, I thought right, I'm, I'm not going to remember what to look for and where to look for. Uh, if I do another 10 interviews. I thought, what are the most important things? Where I, where I, which questions do I, uh, do I uh, silently kind of express inner joy and just be getting the responses? And, uh, and some of the questions, I think one of the questions was like, what, what tools did you use? One question was, what's the main challenge in marketing and kind of sales and marketing? Another one was uh, just what, what, what's, what's a really juicy piece of insight from this conversation? Uh, and, uh, and I think there was one more question. And then I just made sure that, you, that I filled, you know, I summarized uh, the answers to these four questions uh, after every interview. 
and some of it was a multiple choice question. Some of it was just kind of a short sentence uh, based on the whole interview. Uh, and that's this. Uh, it was almost like tagging the conversations in some way, and that was really useful yeah. in hindsight. I actually came across a really interesting tool the other day. It's called otter.ai, I think. Um, and what this tool does for you is it allows you to upload transcripts so you can actually connect it with some of your tools like Zoom that you do for conversations. And it automatically creates a transcribe of that conversation. It automatically tags different speakers and then it pulls out keywords for you from that conversation, um, which I think like it's, it seems like it could be a super valuable tool when doing sort of this discovery work or sort of doing customer interviews. Uh, I think it's often the challenge is like you end up spending a lot of time doing the interviews and then to actually try and get something really useful out of it, it just takes almost even double the time sometimes afterwards to analyze and run through it. Yeah, sounds, sounds interesting. Cool. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit today about acquisition. We've talked as well previously on the show quite a bit as well of the prevention versus cure and really trying to make sure that uh, you have a really good understanding of your customers. So we've talked through that quite a bit and having a good understanding will then lead to sort of how you go about marketing your product and how you go about delivering value to them. Today, I wanted to touch on uh, with you as well, because obviously your career has been on acquisition. Uh, you've helped, like mentioned previously, build up pipe drive from zero to 70,000 customers. When it comes to churn and retention, uh, how much of a role do you see acquisition playing in churn? Um, uh, I think they, it, it's, I think I mean, you, you can't really do acquisition well without, being mindful of churn. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> but uh, so, so the, my, my, my earliest um, uh, experience at Pipedrive with churn was that uh, I think we, we had raised a seed round. We hadn't really raised an A round yet, uh, but we had, uh, we had invested enough money into pay channels to really uh, make a decision about which channels to invest more into, like planning for the A round and which ones to keep on the back burner. Uh, and then I looked at all of our marketing channels uh, and then leads generated uh, and then new paying customers generated. Uh, and then uh, for some of the pay channels, so I looked at it by keyword and by, by kind of sub-channel and saw that there was like huge differences between uh, how profitable our marketing channels uh, were. Uh, and uh, there was a slight difference in ARPU between the channels, but the biggest difference was, uh, was that the retention between different channels and even between different keywords uh, of channels uh, was uh, substantial. It was huge. Uh, so that really uh, that influenced a lot of the marketing strategy going forward. So we, I mean, you have to tie everything back to LTV, uh, yeah. and then uh, and churn is the biggest, probably the biggest lever in LTV. Uh, and then, and then I think looking at so you you can't look at successful acquisition if you if you if you don't filter it through the uh, through through um, through churn uh, and you have to be managing churn in order to to really grow the effectiveness of your uh, acquisition channels. Yeah. So also what you said as well like was quite an interesting uh, idea is that you essentially you were seeing in some cases the same average revenue per user uh, or average sale price, but then in actuality like the LTV is where it really started to kick in and it really started to make a difference. Um, yeah. yeah like, let's, like, let's, like, uh, let's like, I think, so there was huge differences between 
uh, countries as well as keywords, uh, uh, with with some, some exceptions. But I think I think if I, if, I, if I remember correctly, then Germany was one of these countries where uh, where we had comparable ARPU to most other countries, but then the retention was seventy percent higher. Just yeah. people who came, there was not as many of them, but the ones who came were very sticky. The Germans aren't messing around. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then we're just going to really uh, comfortably increase our beats and our aggressiveness in that market because we knew that uh, that would still a healthy payoff. Yeah, cool. So I think, I mean, this definitely it sounds like a very interesting idea, but it's often not the easiest thing to accomplish to be able to understand. And uh, when we start to think about, so we're talking about the concept of attribution here, but we're not only talking about attribution when it comes to signups or to customer, but actually to LTV in the end. How did you go about getting a system like this set up uh, to begin with? Um, and at what stage was the company when you realized, okay, like we're spending way too much money now uh, on marketing not to have a good system in place to understand this? So our first system was super basic, uh, and of course, evolved. It evolved as we as we as our budget things budgets increased and as our resources increased. But our first version was very simple. Um, I had the, the the lucky foresight to to tag our all new paying customers with a channel and keyword uh, from the very early days. So by the time we started to have uh, some amount of, of money to uh, invest into marketing. We already had accumulated some useful data. And when you say uh, tag them, how are you doing the tags? Just, uh, just we had the uh, UTM, UTMs UTM. added to to ads, uh, and then uh, we had a, uh, I think it that uh, they said to the database once somebody created an account. Okay, very cool. So you actually had this as part of your production database for accounts was a field that stored uh, UTM yeah. sources. So, so each each account had a had a channel uh, and uh, campaign UTM. Uh, Attached to it uh, from not day one. Well, we weren't that smart, but uh, from yeah. uh, from uh, from, from early, pretty early on. Uh, and then, uh, but then it wasn't. I mean, if you break it, broke it down by channel and by country, it wasn't uh, statistically significant. But you could still see some trends. Uh, and then the the earliest version of the LTV calculation was was as simple as like I created a Google um, spreadsheet. I uh, I had all the different keywords in different rows, and I just had an uh, accumulation of their revenue, uh, accumulated months uh, altogether, and then uh, churn or how many of these were still retained uh, in these columns. And and yeah. even despite not having full data, you could still see some uh, that, that some keywords were performing better than others in terms of retention and LTV. Uh, so the first version wasn't. Uh, statistically significant. It wasn't something you could put on a slide, but you could make decisions based on that. You could say that, okay, we probably should invest more here and we should probably invest less here. Uh, and then each next iteration of the same process became more accurate and more scientific, uh, but uh, but you can start pretty scrappy, I think. Yeah, so essentially you actually started this almost from day one. That's super cool insight that you had. And uh, Oh, so I, have, I have to correct. I, I wish it was from day one. I wasn't yeah. that smart, so it was. Okay. It was. It wasn't too late, but it was. Uh, it was uh, yeah, pretty early on. It was pretty early on. 
Um, so then you started out, um, did you start to get to any sort of next level of sophistication when it came to the way you were measuring this? So um, in your database, then you'd move to the Google Sheets. Was there an acceleration that you went and you took it to? Um, I think the negotiation was just the same version, but uh, but but better, um, and, and with more data. Uh, and then we moved to our own data warehouse at some point, um, and then this this just uh, removed human error and made the calculations more accurate because everything was done in a formula. Uh, while in the first version, uh, I basically just added indices of like this looks, uh, I added weight to yep. uh, based on like retention of uh, or lifetime value with a, to invest less or more. Uh, in the last version, it was all expressed in a formula and I didn't have a way to interfere <laughs> in the numbers. So it was just kind of whatever came out of the system uh, was our uh, truth then. Uh, and so this system that you built then, it sounds like it was is last touch attribution. Is that correct? Or were you... We used first touch, um, first touch. Okay. which I think makes sense for most early stage companies uh, because uh, I think last touch, last touch to, my, to, to me seems more relevant uh, if you if you're in a category where the category awareness is high and all the brand awareness is high. Yeah. So let's say like travel is perfect, I think, for uh, everything else, all the airlines and all the hotel sites. Yeah. Uh, but I think for software, especially kind of earlier stage software, uh, it's really the, the, the channel which puts you on the radar, which is, I think is the most important. Uh, but um, I, I think this is a topic that can be debated for, for yeah. hours, if not, if not days. Absolutely. I think though as well, just to add on to that point, I think with software and specifically like the SMB space, and if you have a free trial or a freemium version, the barrier to entry is so low. So typically like you tend to see that first touch is predominantly the touch where signups are coming from most of the time as well. I don't know if you saw that similarly at Pipedrive. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we're selling to SMBs. Uh, so the decision process is not too, too complex. Uh, many yeah, many trial signups were coming off of the first visit, yeah. uh, and definitely it's different if you're selling uh, enterprise uh, or if you're selling like I think I, if, if I was a marketing salesforce, salesforce I enjoys pretty high brand recognition already. I think their uh, last touch would make more sense probably because it's like what what channel triggered you to really then take action. Yeah. So when you started looking at this then, so you said, okay, uh, we need to make sure that we have really good attribution so we can understand which channels are performing best. You looked at keywords, you looked at countries. Um, was there anything to do with the specific campaigns that you worked on that you noticed, like uh, thinking about the different types of messaging or focusing on certain use cases? Um, did you do any like research into that area and trying to understand like, what copy was driving um, conversions and LTV? No, we didn't get to that level of detail. But I think uh, even even the country and keyword level can be can be super insightful. Uh, yeah. And if you do some research, if you do any research uh, uh, alongside doing acquisition campaigns, you'll just uh, you'll continuously improve the messaging and and have like have a have a mental image of the jobs to be done in mind, and then connect them to certain keywords and then you can uh, you can then just uh, kind of put these two things together uh, 
um, not in a in a kind of a linear way, but just mash them, mash them together and uh, and then drive insights uh, from big campaigns to to research and messaging, and from your research also back to campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. When it came then as well to different acquisition channels you mentioned and uh, mediums, so did you ever look into the effects? You mentioned different channels have different LTV. Um, was uh, like word of mouth a big channel for yourselves previously at Pipe Drive or even at Skype? And how did you go about sort of understanding the impact of word of mouth when it came to LTV? So word of mouth uh, was definitely uh important for both Skype uh, and Pipedrive. And I think any product which I've been involved with, uh, I, I just realized one day that uh, that uh, I tend to only market products which don't need marketing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think also, I think I can also then add to that, that I also like to only work with people who don't need management. So uh, I think if you do, do, if you do these two things, then... Uh, you just get to work on more in interesting problems. Absolutely. Um, but um, but back to word of mouth, uh, definitely important. Uh, and uh, it's not really a, a channel. I think it's just just that uh, like a good product has some built-in variety um, almost by by design. Uh, yeah. And then as a marketer, you can't really uh, you can't you can't drive it as much as the product team can drive it. Yeah, uh, but of course you can influence it. You can build the other programs. You can make the, sure that the messaging is clear, so it's easy to tell your friend about it. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's small things you can do, but you can't. It's not really a, a, something I would call a marketing channel. Yeah. Uh, did you see though, like any difference when it came to word of mouth versus any of your acquisition channels when it came to actual um, retention rates and the LTV overall? Was there a difference? Yeah, we did look at the difference, but uh, it wasn't actionable. Uh, I mean, because you, you yeah. can't do much with the data. You just kind of observe it and say, all right. Uh, we need more of this. Yeah, we need more of this, but, uh, but there's not, uh, you can't put, uh, there's no lever attached to that that you can pull. Yeah. Uh, apart from, from just the, the, I think, yeah, there's small things you can do, uh, small big things you can do as a marketer, but it's really in the hands of the product mostly. Cool. So, Let's uh, dive a little bit more uh, into OutFunnel now and uh, you, at that intersection now between sales and marketing, maybe you want to just talk us through what a typical use case is and how somebody would use your tool today. Um, yeah, so if you're a more established business who's using maybe something like uh, like Salesforce or even HubSpot, you wouldn't even know what problem I'm describing. Uh, but if you're a small business who uses tools like Pipedrive, like maybe Mailchimp and some of the other uh, kind of uh, SMB-focused uh, marketing automation and sales tools, then these tools are still, despite the availability of Zapiers and Trace and uh, and APIs, they're very hard to connect if you're a small business who's not a software company and without the develop, development resources. And then it's um, it's silly, but if you if you're a salesman, you don't you don't. And then you're working in Pipedrive, uh, and then your marketing team is sending campaigns from Mailchimp for constant contact. Then you you don't have access to data about uh, which leads have interacted with marketing, which ones haven't, who has been to the sites, and what they have uh, looked at, and uh, and who hasn't come to the site. Yeah. So it's it's bringing these these sorts of information to the sales team, uh, and also uh, OutFunnel makes it easier for marketers to make sure that the campaign targeting is accurate. 
because the, the moment you need to export and import data manually from one tool to another, you know, that it's going to be out of date by the time you, uh, you import it. Yeah. And we automate it and uh, just make sure that if you've bought something right now, you won't receive an email in five minutes to buy what you just bought. Uh, so I think shipping data and sync and, and giving salespeople context about leads is what is what we uh, want to do. Yeah, and I'm sure that's going to be something super powerful as well. Uh, we talked a little bit about it before the call, but and making sure that you're aligning sort of the promise fit from marketing with the like the sales fit, and actually at the end of the day, what the product does uh, is is super critical. You don't want to be marketing uh, some message and then your sales pe- team pitching different features. Like really having that context of knowing what people have seen and what they've uh, visited and done before arriving to that salesperson, I think can be a super powerful uh, position to not only just to close more deals, but also to make sure that customers are getting the value that they were looking for to begin with and the value that attracted them through the marketing. Yeah. And, and I think even, even something as, um, as, uh, as uh, mundane as unsubscribing of a marketing newsletter can be a signal for sales to, to take some action. So why did somebody unsubscribe? Was it because uh, marketing messages were poor or emails were boring? Was it because they had already made up their mind to buy your product and they didn't need any more information? Yeah. Or was it because they want, had made a decision to to buy a competitor's product? Uh, and if, if we don't give this data about unsubscribes or email bounces to the sales team uh, as soon as they happen, then you just may be missing out on sales opportunities. Absolutely. Uh, have you seen, like with some of your customers now as well, like what are some of the early response that's coming back from them? How have they found success using the tool? They're ecstatic. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I mean, I, I think, so uh, we started, I started, started doing the research a uh, year and a half ago, sensing that there was a problem, that despite all the tech, uh, it's uh, hard for SMB to connect their sales and marketing workflows. Uh, as we built the first version of the product, which did very little, uh, we knew that uh, we were solving the right problem because we didn't have much of a product, but we were people. We had people paying for that already. And as we have uh, you know, widened our offering, we're still solving the same problem. So I think uh, uh, um, we've seen how how it make, can make life a lot easier for both salespeople and marketers uh, if if you just make it easy to connect the tools and data. Yeah. But uh, but I think maybe what but back to I think back to the topic of the podcast. I think one thing which I've noticed. Uh, as uh, when we when we onboard customers, is that we have a we have a uh, a fourteen day trial, and most of our customers are paying by month, so we haven't promoted our annual plans uh, that aggressively. Yeah, and one thing I've, I've noticed is that um, is that onboarding doesn't stop at the uh, at the time when somebody has uh, decided to purchase your product and enter their car details. Uh, yeah especially when you sell to SMBs with low price points as we do. Um, like to me, I think onboarding and, and, and providing value about the product really uh, happens around day 50 or day 75 or so when, uh, when you've paid for product already twice or maybe three times. Yeah. Uh, and when you've started to get value out of the product and also validated that, hey, this is value which is good enough for me to to continue paying for that. Um, so I think, 
I think um, like in my previous roles, I've sometimes uh, treated like, yeah, if somebody is paying good, we can move on. Let's get more customers. Yeah. But, uh, but the experience at Bytrevel now recently at OutFunnel has taught me to really just not consider onboarding done before somebody has started to start to get value and then stayed around, stuck, stuck around to getting that value uh, for at least like two payments. Um, that's when I think uh, you can consider that uh, uh, a big customer, not just like a, not just like an uh, uh, an active trialist. Yeah, once I've started to really create that habit around your product, uh, I think that's something that came up as well in a previous uh, episode where we had the CEO of Chameleon who actually builds onboarding software. Uh, and also what they what we discussed in that episode was that onboarding is often treated as, like you say, like those first few days trying to get them to use X, Y, or Z feature. But onboarding actually continues throughout the life cycle. And what we might sort of think of as product announcements when products are being updated, in actuality, it's onboarding in its own right as well because you constantly want to be making sure that people are using your new features, are being activated, are being uh, continuously delivering and you're constantly delivering and they're receiving the value. So it's interesting that you bring that up. It's definitely something we've discussed before as well. Yeah. And I think, um, I think also some simple things that uh, any SaaS company can do is that if, uh, if you have this kind of moment, the first payment, some customers who are, who are making their first payment, they are fully onboarded. They're using all the, all their necessary features. They've entered their data. They are kind of going at, at full speed. But quite a lot, maybe 50% of which I've seen in different companies of new customers are somewhat committed, but they haven't had the time to really invest in it. Maybe some tool has been not integrated yet, and maybe some teams have not been fully brought aboard, and maybe the, maybe there's some like anomalies in the system which doesn't quite work as, as it should. Um, so I think to calling these people or emailing these people at the time of the first payment or... or immediately after that uh, who haven't properly started to get value out of the product is probably the most profitable thing you can do as a company because uh, you're talking to super warm leads who have almost made up their mind and who just need a little notch to get on the right track uh, I love this I think as well like a lot of the time when you, you think about sales or customer success as well uh, the focus is getting to that sale or uh, making sure that the customer, but what you're saying makes total sense as well is if you really think about it from uh, whatever space you're in, but in SMB is probably even more so is like these people are incredibly busy. There's so much going on that your tool is not the center and most important thing in their lives or in their work day. Um, so even though they may have already paid you for the first time, they might not have actually already got what they needed from you up until that point. Uh, what what led you to this uh, insight, and the, uh, is this something that you've set up now uh, at OutFunnel? Uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to do it at OutFunnel, but OutFunnel is a very simple organization with five people, so yeah, uh, so it's, it's it's super easy to set it up here. But I first started thinking about it at PyDrive because PyDrive started as a as a self service only business initially, and then we added the sales function function uh, many years later, uh, and then. Selling to, selling, selling to SMBs globally, uh, again, some countries, uh, sales or kind of, uh, kind of inbound sales is a very profitable activity, uh, but other countries, uh, uh, it's not. 
uh, and then you need to decide where do you where do you focus your sales uh, time and sales resources uh, and then and then i think the topic of aligning sales and marketing efforts also came up uh, very accurately then or acutely not accurately yeah uh, and then i think just that uh, whenever we discussed it it's just seemed that calls to people that have kind of bought but haven't fully bought that's the most profitable kind of call we could make um and then yeah that's that's stuck that's stuck in my head ever since absolutely i mean they've really shown the commitment there like they put the money on the table but it's now just helping them get over the edge and making sure that they start to get the value yeah and probably i think if, i think it's easy to map what are the key features uh kind of what what constitutes for an active fully um engaged customer i would think i would be very surprised if it was more than 50 percent who are going to fully active and fully engaged at the time of the first payment yeah i think this is something we talked about a lot in terms of like how do you define uh, active users versus non-active and like especially during that ongoing stage what you're saying is also interesting is that the next level is really okay even though you have this concept of activation like how much does it really correlate then to people becoming customers uh, because a lot of the times like the activation metric is really tied back to retention and looking okay if they take these actions they're more likely to be retained but i would be interested as well just to understand like that first payment like how many users are actually um active at that point yeah and i think for us it's it's between 30 to 50 percent depending on where you draw the line well um sorry 30 50 percent are, are not active right they're not fully yeah. active um so it's uh but i think ours our product as a very low price point, yeah, uh, or relatively low price point, so it's it's an easy thing just to you know, I just add my card details and figure it out later, and then uh, fifty days later you either ha- have figured it out or you just cancel. You just yeah, uh, and I think that's as well like some. It's probably one of the more dangerous areas when it comes to churn is the sort of segment of users that are paying but they're not receiving the value, and quite often they're not as well. It's something that's overlooked, and it's sort of like okay if they're paying. Uh, what's to worry about it but really like this way it comes into making sure that you're not only uh, are people sticking around with us and paying us but how engaged are they uh, and that would sort of give you a good indication of how healthy the business is really it's not are they paying month by month because at some point if they're not using your tool they're going to stop they're going to remember oh i have a running payment now the last three months i haven't used the tool it's time to cut it yeah Andrew, have, have you looked into what's a, what's a healthy rate of uh, of completely dormant paying users for a SaaS company not yet and i think that's something that would be an interesting um uh, challenge to look at i think we, we've talked about uh, when it comes to sort of delinquent churn and uh, in the previous episode actually with patrick from uh, Pro- uh, from profitwell we talked a little bit about that but we haven't actually looked at what sort of dormant what percentage of customers are dormant and paying and that's definitely something maybe want to try and find somebody if anybody's listening to the show and they have anybody that we should be speaking to about it i'd love to to speak to yeah. them but i think it's one of these things which people are not very comfortable talking about yeah it's a scary topic so maybe like maybe the, 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 there needs to be an app like an anonymous app where you <laughs> add your, add your, your article and then your uh, and what percent of users is paying but not using the product so yeah uh, and then you, you see everybody else's results anonym, exactly. anonymously yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely something to set up pretty soon. I'll start circulating as well with the previous uh, guests. Uh, I think as well, like that's also a problem that's exaggerates when it comes to yearly plans as well, because 
more often than not, we sort of think, okay, yearly is the way to solve uh, for churn retention, and it does end up seeing like a really good increase. But again, with yearly, you still face the same problem. You just face it 12 months down the line instead of two or three. Well, Andres, um, what is the next steps now for OutFunnel? Like you mentioned, you're five people today, uh, growing quite well, 125 customers. Like what is the next six to 12 months look for you, look like for you and the team? I just uh, think continue working on the same problem, connecting sales and marketing, but uh, expanding on offering uh, and just uh, building the product and building the channels which help customers discover the product. That's really it. Uh, I think uh, life at this, at this very early startup stage is very simple. Uh, <laughs> you just need to <laughs> go where the kind of customer interest and product market fit tells you, uh, takes you. Yeah, I think it's it's. I think after you're maybe thirty, fifty people, then then things get more complex. But yeah, for us, life is easy. Uh, not for uh, sure. simple. It's not easy, but it's simple, but hard. Yeah, I think that's one thing. Like uh, slowly learning more and more now. I'm at Hotjar as well as you know. Uh, had my own startup previously, and at the early days, like when you're getting started, you think things are tough and difficult. And then the more the company grows, the more you realize the problems just grow with the company. It's something that like at the early days, you think if I can just get to that next milestone and the company's like uh, cash flow positive, then that's when I can relax. But then that's when the problems just start piling on. And as you scale, they just come with it. So it's almost yeah. like it's a never ending circle. So I definitely like you say, early days, now you need to enjoy them. Yeah, exactly. And if, if any listeners are they're using CRM, Pipedrive as a CRM and they want to uh, add marketing workflows to that, please look us up and uh, check us out. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely for the listeners, you should check it out. And if you have any feedback for Andres as well, he's a really cool guy. He's obviously, as you heard, open to hearing from you. So Andres, thanks very, very much for joining the show. It was great having you. Uh, great chat today. And I'm sure the listeners are going to enjoy this uh, episode and get a better understanding of how they can focus the acquisition efforts uh, to decrease churn. Excellent. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Andres. Have a great day. Cheers. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.